Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning, and those of you online with us, we're glad that you're here with us as well. What a grand day this is to be able to come together. It's such a beautiful day outside, and the only thing more beautiful than that which is outside is that which is on the inside of us, and that Jesus has done so much for us, and for that we are, are so very thankful. Let me make you aware of a couple things that are coming up. Remember, October the 18th is our virtual prayer summit where we're going to be praying about our families and congregation and our country. If there's ever a time where we need to be praying about those things, this really would be the, the time. Also, let me remind you, we were going to have our podcast. It was supposed to have started this Thursday, but we ran into some music problems and able to ascertain the music that we wanted. We've, able, we've been able to do so, and so this will be... Uh, will be posted on Spotify or, or Podbean. Just go there and write in Soul to Soul and you'll be able to get on that podcast. I think our pod, podcast, the first one is like six minutes long and then after that they'll get uh, around 15 to 20 minutes long. So our, our podcast. Also, as John already mentioned, is remember our Bible study this evening at 6 p.m. We're allowed to have 50 people inside the auditorium. And so let me encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to register and, and come to the Bible study this evening or to make sure you catch it on online. And the same would go for Wednesday evening as well at 7 o'clock. Uh, we'll be having a class by Dana Patterson on prayer. And so uh, make sure you register for those times. We can have 50. And so we're starting to open up our building slowly a little bit at a, a time. And I think it's just going to be a great time. Over the past uh, seven months, if you're anything like me, you probably have had time to, uh, to start cleaning out some non-essentials that are in your house as well as in your garage. I'm probably not as concerned about the house as I am the garage itself, and so I begin to get rid of various things there that I just don't need. I've sold them. I've given away to Youth Ranch. And one of the things that I, I had that was in my possession was a, an autographed uh, basketball jersey by Michael Jordan. And, you know, it, it's a kind of a cool item to have in your house, but, I, you know, I didn't really just, I wasn't all that uh, super crazy about it anyway, so I decided to sell it. But one of the things that happened as I began to put it, post it on different kinds of venues was there was, there was you know, some interest in it, but all, a lot of the people were really, um, they were suspicious as to whether it was an authentic uh, autograph or not. And guys would come over and look at the, uh, the jersey and the autograph itself, and, and I would show them a certificate of authentic, uh, authentication, and I would show them uh, a, some letters about it and show them that this thing is the real deal but they still were suspicious one guy went so far as to say that i was counterfeiting the thing well finally one individual came along and he was a fairly young guy but he was he had lots of michael jordan stuff and he says this will complete what i really do need and so he bought the thing but he right away sent it away to be authenticated and so he sent it to psa which is probably one of the most well-known organizations that uh, work at authentic, uh, authentifying uh, various kinds of things, whether you're talking about sports memorabilia or whether you're talking about history or maybe even some kind of entertainer or something that was owned by an entertainer. They, they do that kind of work. And so the guy sent it away to see if it was the real deal. And of course, it was the real deal. So why am I bringing this up? Because your autograph is important to you. I mean, what you say about yourself really does come down to really brass tacks when it comes down to your signature or your autograph. In fact, John over here is a banker, and he'll tell you that you'll have a real hard time cashing a check if you don't sign the thing. 
or even driving your, your car on your driver's license. You have your signature, your autograph that is written on it, or your car registration has to have your signature on it, or you're going to get a ticket if, you, if it's not so. It's the same when you're talking about your passport. You have to have a signature on it. If you were to go and try to take a loan out for some kind of item, whether it was a car or furniture or appliance or even a house, you will have to sign your signature over and over and over again. Your signature is important to you. And probably one of the best well-known signatures that almost everyone recognizes is the one that is on the Declaration of Independence, and that is john hancock in fact sometimes they'll say listen i need your john hancock here i need your signature before i can let this go or before i can cast this check and so when you think about an autograph it's important to your identity so whether you are talking about a thumbprint or whether you're talking about a passport or a driver's license or an iris identification uh, recognition your autograph says something about you and it says that you are an individual it's that which di distinctively uh, sets you apart from anyone else so I've been talking to you in this series about identity embracing your true uh, nature and we've been looking at second Peter the first chapter verses 3 through 11 and primarily at this point, we've been really focusing in on verses 5 through 7. And in verses 5 through 7, Peter tells us that we are to be partakers of the divine nature or God's divine nature. And he takes that and he identifies seven qualities that distinctly sets us apart from the rest of the world around us. Or at least it should set us apart from the world around us as we take these qualities into our lives and begin to live them. And as they change who we are to this new nature, this divine nature that is designed to transform us into the image of God's Son. And so we're constantly being changed and these qualities allow us to do so. So we begin by talking about adding to our faith moral excellence and to our moral excellence knowledge. And then to our knowledge self-control. And to self-control, we talked about perseverance. And then perseverance, we talked about godliness, which we said was really a devotion to God, which motivates everything else. And then last week, we talked about brotherly kindness. And we looked at the word Philadelphia, which is a conjunction of a single word, philia, which is love, and adelphos, which is brother or brotherly love. And so the city of brotherly love. But most translations generally have it as as a kindness or affection and I think the reason is is because they're trying to make a difference between the last two qualities because he says add you know add to your godliness brotherly kindness or brotherly love or affection and to your brotherly love or kind affection your love and it almost sounds redundant when you first look at it so this morning I want to talk to you about that last quality the quality of love with this question what's love got to do with it why is love something so important to us well as kindly affection or brotherly kindness differentiates itself from this love that we're talking about now which is one that is directed toward other members of the body of Christ this love here is one that extends to the entire human race so you know when you think about love the question that comes to my mind would be this what exactly is love? Now, to most of us, when we think of love, that seems like a simple enough question, right? And that seems like it should not be a hard question, but it's anything but simple. 
we talk about wanting to be loved we talk about being loved or being in love but what exactly does that mean what is your personal definition of what love is because i'm going to tell you this morning that there is a lot of confusion about love in our world uh, today and so when you think about love and the term love itself did you know that in sanskrit with this this it's a feeling rich a language that you that is used in the east in india there are over 96 terms for the word love itself trying to describe what love is in ancient persian its language it has over 80 words for love in the original language greek the one that's the the bible that's in your laps that was originally a koine greek there were three words for love and if you look at classical greek then there are four words for love guess how many words there are for love in the english language well there's only one there's only one word and we use it for all kinds of things we use it in a hundred different kinds of ways and so let me ask you does our overuse of the word love affect our understanding and the meaning of the word we use it in a lot. We love ice cream. We love pickles. We love dogs. We love cats. We love our car. We love our husband. We love our, our children. We love plants. We, we love everything. And so because of the use of how, the way that we use the lo word love in so many different kinds of ways, it sometimes can become a confusing thing. And so what is, is love? Well, back in 1984, Tina Turner, which is also known as the queen of rock and roll, she put out a song which was a single and it's the song that really branded her as an artist now i know there was ike and and ike but but then there was tina on her own and she put out a single that you know was like in the top 100 on the billboards for over three weeks and eventually was certified as gold that's how huge this song was and the name of the song was what's love got to do with it now, I thought about singing that song to you, but I don't have the legs for it. But, but the, the song itself, when you look at the lyrics of the chorus, there's a lot that is said in that song there. What's love got to do with it, got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? That's why I'm a preacher and not an entertainer. But anyway, look at the words of that song. What's love got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? And what Tina Turner had to say there, the society itself is trapped in her definition of love because what's love? Is it really a secondhand emotion? Isn't there more to love than just the emotion of it? I'm convinced when you talk about the world, much of the world when it comes to love isn't really looking at an objective reality that can be measured. They look at love in a completely different kind of way. When you talk about the disciplines such as psychology and, and psychiatrists, even they, when they talk about this idea of love, are not able to put their finger on it. Listen to what they say. In spite of a few remarks, or remarkable contributions, we can definitely state that love has not been the object of much psychological or psychiatric research. Most of what we know about it, that's love, comes either from our limited private experiences or from the insights that poets, novelists, playwrights, and artists. 
with rare exceptions in the indexes of most psychoanalytic, psychiatric, and psychological books and textbooks, we do not find an entry for the word love. Even if you were to talk about the ancient encyclopedias like Britannica and others, they are absolutely silent on this word love, and yet it's something that's used a lot. So what exactly is it? Well, like I said, much of the world, when it comes to love, sees it from a subjective experience that is reflected emotionally in different people and how different people uh, deal with it. In fact, I would say to you, when you talk mostly about love in our society, it is a subjective thing that is centered all around the emotion. But God, when he talks about love, and when your Bible talks about love, love is, is much greater than just an emotion. In fact, God believes that we can understand what love is. And not only can we understand what love is, we are to be obedient to the kind of love that God talks about and that Jesus talks about and that the various uh, biblical writers talk about in the scriptures themselves. And so when you talk about this, this love, when you talk about the authentic autograph of, of love, well, then you're talking about God. Because God is the authentic autograph of love. In fact, it is his nature. And because of that, we are encouraged in this true nature to embrace love. So God commands us to love. He just simply does. And there's numerous passages that say so. James, the Lord's brother, said in James 2 and, and verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Where did James get that? Well, he got that from his brother who said over in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He says the second, other than loving God, is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. Or Romans, the 13th chapter and verse 8. Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. What is the greatest commandment in the law? To love the Lord your God with the heart, mind, and soul. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law depends on those first uh, two. And then Jesus' words in John, the 15th chapter, verses 9 through 12. As a father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now look at that last part there. My command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. So how much has Jesus loved us? Well, Brandon, he talked a lot about that during uh, the Lord's Supper as he prepared our minds. And he talked about the perfect body that was given for you. He talked about the blood that cleanses of our sins that was given for you. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. How much did Jesus love us? Well, he died on the cross. For us and now he tells us that we are to love each other as he has loved us so the question would be how can God command a love well the answer to that is is that love is more than just an emotion now understand as I go on from here that I'm not saying that love is not an emotion a love oftentimes the actions of love oftentimes are motivated because of our emotion because of our feelings that we have for one another but when man thinks of love they think of it only subjectively in terms of love being just an emotion but God's not like that 
Well, how do I know that man is like that when it comes down to just identifying love just as emotion? Well, look at any dictionary, almost any dictionary, and here are the definitions. Number one, a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. A feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection for a parent, a child, a friend, or friend. Sexual passion or desire. Feeling deep affection or passion for a person, an idea, an occupation, etc. So what do those all have in common? They're all based around a feeling, beyond, around a passion, around an affection. What it's saying is that it's an emotion. That's how the world sees it, almost predominantly that way. But God's view of love is a lot different than man's. God's love is not a secondhand emotion. Love to God is something that you do. God loved us, and then he did something about it. He got involved in it. And that passage of Scripture that all of us know can quote easily from John, the third chapter and verse 16, for God so what? Loved the world that did what? Gave his only begotten son. Or Romans 5 and verse 8, God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's an action thing. God got involved in what was going on with us, so he didn't just feel his love for us, he acted on his love for us. So God is not commanding an emotion. What he is doing, he's commanding an action. If you look at 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, and as you look down through this great chapter on, on love, what you'll see is that it's not so much talking about an emotion as it is talking about what love does or what love does not do. Look at verse 4. Love is what? Is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not easily provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffer, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That section of Scripture, the greatest section in the Bible on love is not talking about any emotion. I mean, it could be there, but it's really action moving. I mean, it, there, it, it's what it does and what it does not do. The question that comes to my mind is, is it our nature to love? And my thoughts to that, if you just do a cursory look at Colossians, the first chapter, or third chapter, verses 1 through 10, you'll find out some things about yourself that you're not going to like in verse 8. Anger, and rage, and malice, and slander, and filthy things. Those were the old nature, which seems to come fairly natural to us. Love, on the other hand, doesn't seem to be as natural. When someone is filled with malice towards us, it's hard for us to love them. When someone is slandering us, it's hard for us to love them. When some, someone is angry towards us, it's hard to love someone. If someone slaps you on the cheek, it's hard for you to turn the other cheek. When someone says, walk with me the extra mile, it's hard for us to walk the extra mile. When someone says, sacrifice for me, it's hard for us to sacrifice uh, for them. But Paul says, you used to walk in these ways, in this life you once lived, but now you have a new nature. You're a new man. If man, any man is in Christ, the old, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become 
anew in, in Paul's mind. So how does one move past this nature to the true nature of being able to love one another? And I think that's where it gets down to the spirit in me, or the spirit in me, or the spirit in me. Love is the fruit of God's spirit within me. In fact, over in Galatians, the fifth chapter, in verse 22, there he says the fruit of the spirit is, first right off the bat, is love and joy and peace and patience and, and kindness. O open your Bibles to that section of, of Scripture because I think it says something to us as you get to the latter part of it. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And then he says these words. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. If you were to go back to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, you'll see that there was a lot of infighting within that body of believers. And Paul says, I'll show you a gift that's more important than prophecy or tongue speaking or any of those things. I'm going to talk to you about a gift that we all have. And then he goes on to talk about loving one another. It's important to understand that. So love is the result of the Spirit working on my heart and mind, transforming me into this new nature. Well, how does he go about doing that? Well, the Word of God is the medium of the Holy Spirit. Beyond the fact that the Holy Spirit seals us to the day of redemption over in Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 13 and 14, and 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22 and chapter 5 and verse 5 and 1 Corinthians 6 and verse uh, 19 and, and 20, beyond the fact that he seals us to a day of redemption, beyond the fact that he assists us in our prayers in Romans, the 8th chapter and verse 27, he's also one that is transforming us from the inside out. And the way he goes about doing that is that the word of God is to come into our lives. And so we're to be serious students about God's word. When you think about the qualities of moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and, and so on, when you think about those things, we wouldn't know about those things unless we were to get into God's word and study them out and then seek to apply them in our lives. And so our nature is to be being transformed or changed. But the problem is is controlling the lion that is within me. I read a story about a man who visited a zoo. He's at the zoo and he's in this one place uh, cage there and there was a lion with a monkey in there with the, with the lion. And the guy was surprised about that and he asked him, he goes, well, how does this actually work out? How did the monkey and the lion get, get along? And the man says, well, he goes, well, uh, generally, uh, it works out well between the monkey and lion, but every once in a while, they get in it to one another, and then we have to buy a new monkey. And what he was saying to him is, what he was saying to him, he says, listen, the lion has a nature. The lion is a lion. And you either get you a big supply of extra monkeys, or you separate the two. Well, you're probably not going to change a lion's nature. A lion is a lion is a lion. And if it gets kicked off, it's going to bite you or eat you. Well, we can be the same way. We have the true nature that we're supposed to be changing, but every once in a while, that lion comes out in us, and when that happens, people get hurt. People get their feelings hurt and a number of other things. And so as Christians, we are to allow the Spirit to help us. His job is to help me think, to speak, and act differently 
especially when it comes to putting love into action. And that's where God's word comes into play. That we are to walk by the Spirit, we are to be led by the Spirit, but how we know what the Spirit's saying to us? Well, we know so because of what His Word has said to us. So what are some things that we can do in a practical kind of way of putting it into action? Number one, be gracious in word and, and deed. The Apostle John, as he talked about this, he says, let us not just love one another in, in word and in tongue, but let us do so in both word and deed. And so his love went beyond just talking about, beyond just the emotion, to being very action-oriented. And so one of the things that we can do is we can, watch our, we can watch our words. Be careful of the things that we say to one another. Paul over in Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. In another place, it says, Let our speech always be seasoned as it were salt, that we may know how to give grace at the right kind of moment to one another. So watch your words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a big lie. So we need to be careful with our words. We need to watch our steps, which means we need to watch our example because people are watching whether we are living by the Spirit or living according to uh, the flesh. We need to be thoughtful of others. We need to be servants. Jane, John, the 13th chapter, verses 1 through 13 Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and then he says, I've left you an example, as I have done to you, you should also do to others. He wasn't just talking about just washing feet. He's talking about serving one another. We need to be willing to go the extra mile. There are going to be times when we are going to be pressed by those who are around us, and we've got to be willing to extend ourselves beyond even our, our limits. And we need to treat others the way we want to be treated, which is the golden rule which paul says in galatians 6 and verse 10 that we're to take opportunity to do good unto all men especially those who are the household of faith but we need to treat others as we want to be treated which means we want to speak to others the way we want to be spoken to we want to do things to others as they would do uh, to us and when we when we filter through that then maybe we'll act in a different kind of way so when you ask this question what's love got to do with it well, it has everything to do with it. Everything to do with it. The cross, you see, was God's autograph of God's love for you and me. It's so important that we get this, this thing, love, down. And I believe that's why Peter, he ends those seven qualities with this word love here. Because it was demonstrated by God, because it was demonstrated by Jesus, and because we are followers of his, that's who we want to be, to be like. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. My commandment is this, that you love each other as I have loved you that's really going to stretch us that's really going to push us but it's necessary when it comes down to the unity of believers when it comes down to extending the mission of the gospel to the world that is around us as we go through the stressful moments in our lives as we are now with this pandemic and with the 
racial tension and with elections and all those things, we have to be bigger than all of these things as followers of Jesus. And one of the greatest messages that we can really have are not only the words we speak when we talk about love, but how we go about loving one another. What's love got to do with it? It's not a secondhand emotion. It's the very autograph of what God is about. May God bless you as you think about these things and as you think about how much you are loved and then pass that love along uh, to others. If you're subject in any way to God's invitation, and you know what it is, why don't you respond while together we stand and sing and give you that opportunity.